You've come to the right place. If you're a course creator looking to build more impact, income, and freedom, LMS Cast is the number one podcast for course creators just like you. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of the most powerful tool for building, selling, and protecting engaging online courses called Lifter LMS. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. Today we're joined by a special guest, Gary Collins. He's from the simplelifenow.com. He's got something for you over at the simplelife.com forward slash freedom. Welcome to the show, Gary. The simplelifenow.com forward slash freedom. You go to the simplelife.com, you'll end up at Nicole Ritchie and Paris Hilton's website, I think. Okay. <laughs> Thank yeah, you for correcting me. Yeah. They'll go there and they'll be all what is this? <laughs> the simple life now.com yeah. forward slash freedom. Correct me if I do that again. Sometimes I get a little <laughs> oh, mental block. Um, you have a lot of parallel tracks. I wanted to get in with this show. Um, you have, you have some overlap, overlapping interest areas where you help people around off grid living, minimalism, uh, RV living, optimal health, and some other things too. And where those intersect, it's really interesting. But before we get into that, I was just reading on your page on the simplelifenow.com that you grew up in a small town and you were doing hunting and fishing and then you went into big government and now you're kind of back to the simple life. So the short yeah. version, can you just describe that journey from the you know small town boy makes good and then back to rural uh, you know different way of living? Yeah, it was an interesting progression. I grew up in a, a very rural part of California, which people don't realize there are very remote places of California. Still, it's getting worse, but I grew up in the Sierra Nevada mountains in a little small town of about 1,800 people, an old ranching town, half Indian reservation, half redneck, and, you know, great place. And growing up that way, I grew up actually in a town connected to that, which was 20 miles away, which had less than 100 people. Okay. So I learned how to entertain myself at a very early age. So I was, you know, totally a free range kid. You know, we didn't have pagers and, and they didn't even, yeah, didn't even have pagers. So cell phones, we were on a party line. You know, my friends lived, you know, a mile or farther away and some lived in town. So it was a kind of an interesting life. But my biggest, kind of my, the items that were the most important to me were my dog, my baseball mitt, my football, my basketball my bike and my Walkman and my shotgun. Those were my, and today all those items combined would cost less than, far less than today's cell phone, smartphone. So did you like it or were you dying to get out or kind of both? It's a little interesting because there is a group yeah. of us that got out um, and other people, obviously we've had several people. Uh, one of my friends I grew up with is a two-star in the Air Force. So, yeah. you know, it, people went to the Naval Academy, Air Force Academy for a little small town. And some of us did very well. You know, people went to Stanford. I was the dumb kid, <clears throat> dumb, poor kid. I went to San Diego State. So I went from a, a town of 1800 people to a campus of 38,000 people. I was lost. I was such a fish out of water. But I adapted, you know, made some really good friends. But I, my primary friends are the friends I grew up with which is shocking to a lot of people today too, that some of my friends, we were babysat together. That's how far back we go. Yeah. You know, we've known each other our entire lives and we're good friends. We talk all the time. We see each other when we can. 
And that's something that's lost too. And I, I felt that was important to kind of get back to that kind of mentality of close relationships outside of social media and these fleeting faux relationships, these false relationships. But yeah, I went from there, ended up working in the private sector for a little bit out of college and went into the military. I'd got accepted to the military or Naval Academy prep school and turned it down because I was a dummy. Um, so your military came after college? Yeah, I did, okay. got accepted to, like I said, and I just said, no, you know, I didn't, I was the first kid to go to college, go to graduate from college in my family. I had no real guidance. Yeah. I was figuring all this out by the seat of my pants. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, a dumb 18 year old kid from the middle of nowhere trying to figure this out was interesting. Um, and so I went from there and went into the military because the economy was pretty poor. It was the, you know, early 90s. So we were going through a recession. The job market wasn't all that well good, but I always wanted to serve my country. It was still in the back of my mind. So I went in and enlisted, you know, being the smart guy yet again. Hmm. I did that, but I did it because I didn't want to commit long term because I didn't know where I was going, right? I knew that I, I'd gotten a, I started as a mechanical engineer, ended up graduating with a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. So it was a long, figured out that I was not a rocket scientist and working 34 hour, 30 to 40 hours a week, I couldn't make it through engineering school. It was impossible. I had to work to get through college. There was no way, no one paying my way. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I ended up doing that and went from there and went back in the private sector after the military and w ended up being, being a federal agent, which was one of my goals in life. You know, I picked uh, criminal justice for a certain reason and it was go to go in federal law enforcement or somewhere along those lines. And that just threw me from, you know, military is huge. You know, U.S. military is massive. And then go into even a bigger part slice of the government. It was, I went to the U.S. State Department, traveled all over the world. And so, yeah, I went from being in a small town to these massive institutions. So I got to see many different facets of them. And by the time I had left the government, I'd spent half my life in the government. And so I was pretty burned out. Uh, had lost my faith in all humanity, um, was in a kind of a really dark place trying to figure things out. But I knew that I had to leave and make a jump and do something else or I just wasn't going to make it. How and old are you right here? I'm, I was 40. Okay. And that's, I mean, I started this all very young. Um, I started working for the government in college. Yeah. So I started when I was 20, I believe. Um, so I went from state or county to federal military to big federal and I worked for US State Department Diplomatic Security Service, US Department of Health and Human Services and the Food and Drug Administration. So I had this wide variety of yeah. the government. So I got to see large swatches of different things, but they were the biggest pieces of our government basically. And so I left and I said, you know what, I'm going to do something I'm passionate about. You know, I've been following this trail I've been told was going to make me successful, make me happy. I was unhappy. I didn't know where I was going. I was lost in a way. I just said, this isn't, this isn't where I got to do something else. I've got to figure this out. This can't be what life is all about, right? Right. Chasing this supposed golden carrot that I could never seem to catch. It was always a little further ahead of me, a little further ahead of me. And so I created a health company. Uh, with my knowledge, I'd been a lifelong athlete, was one of my passions. So I created a primal paleo kind of ish company based on lifestyle, but I was training high-end athletes. So I was training kids who were 
primarily football players trying to get into major colleges through uh, another guy who was uh, sending me these people. So how'd you make that transition from ex-government employee to health coach? Um, it wasn't easy. Uh, I just, it was weird because I, I like, started did you come to, out. Did you come out of the, the government and the military and everything? Like, did you have to repair some of your own health? first? Yeah, I skipped a part there. Okay. Yeah, I, we, I, uh, I ended up selling my house. I had a big house in Southern California, sold it, took a huge loss, about a quarter of a million dollars. Whoa. Yeah. It was a <laughs> life altering decision I had to make. And what a, on that decision, you know, there's that saying, I always mess it up, but the pain of staying the same, it's whatever, it's easier to change and stay the same. Like what was that moment where it was just, even though it was hard, you knew you had to do it or something had to give. Yeah, it was, you know, I was sitting in my house one day and I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine and I go, you know, this house is killing me. You know, I just, I, I you know, I'm, spending a lot of money to maintain it. It's not really where I want to be. I'm trapped. I felt trapped is the best way to put it. And he goes, well, get rid of it. And I went, no, you're right. I went, I've been contemplating it, thinking about it. But for me, again, I'm a very uh, strict, disciplined individual. So I don't, and not to the anal over-retentive side, but to the, I do the thing, I do things right is my, you know, I try and do everything right. I said, if I sell this, take this loss, I felt like I was a failure and I felt like I was doing something wrong because that's what society basically told me, right? Did, you, uh, did, did your country upbringing make you disciplined or did the government and the military make you disciplined or both? You know, I wish I had the magic answer to that. My wiring, I've tried to figure out and where it all came from. Yeah. I didn't have a whole lot of direction as a kid. No, I was never pressured to get good grades. I wasn't pressured to go to college. You know, I was a national honor student. You know, I did all this. I did it on my own. My, my, no one was telling me to do it. I <laughs> yeah. think it was more of, I, I think the, the way I was grown up, why I grew up in the difficulties and being poor and living in a trailer and all that, I think it was more desire to get out. Yeah. And not that that life was bad. I look back at it, you know, yeah, it was tough, but. I have a simple saying, no matter how bad you have it, there's someone out there that has it much worse. Yeah. So quit your whining, you know, and that's kind of how I've lived my life is, okay, this is the way it is. I can improve it. I think that's where it came from a lot of it. And in the military, if you go in with bad habits, it tends to reinforce those bad habits when you get out. If you go in with good habits, it makes those good habits even better is yeah. the way I look at it. I, and I don't mean that in a derogatory. If you go in, you're just a mess. You're going to come out. I just felt from what I saw, if you didn't have direction and ambition when you went in the military, usually the military wasn't going to change that for you. You just learned even, you learned how to cut corners even better is what, what it taught some people. But some people, it changes their life. They go in a mess, they come out, they spend a career, get their life together. It depends. But for the most part, yeah, just and then going into uh, you know into the federal government as an agent, you just you have to be wired tight. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people that weren't, but for me, I mean, you know, you're carrying a badge and gun every day. You know, you're responsible for you lose your car keys, you get written up. You break your cell phone, you get. I mean, there was a lot of stress. I mean, every little thing had repercussions that you did. 
So it tended to make you really walk a fine line all the time. Well, let's go think, back to the to the to selling the house and moving on. Like, all right, tangent again. No, it's all good. You you make a lot of transitions, which is how we um were introduced. We were both interviewed on a podcast uh, by Tammy Guler Loeb called "Work from the Inside Out," which is a podcast yeah. about transitions. You clearly have made some major ones, uh, which is awesome, and you have a lot of different experience. But tell us about that transition from you had the job and then you went out on your own. And yeah, and I had a lot of health problems when I left. I was okay. the stress and I had major mechanical injuries that I didn't quite know how, how bad they were until I left and started getting MRIs and I was a wreck. I mean, I went through, I've been through eight or nine surgeries since I left. But, you know, that was part of the process, kind of a re-beginning and I sold everything. So I said, okay, I'm getting rid of the house. I short sold it, took a massive loss but it was a life decision. I said, either I let this house run my life and I continue on this supposed American dream or I take responsibility and I change my life and I do it on my own terms. Yeah. And that's what I decided to do. I drew my line in the sand, said, screw this. I'm going to do it my own way. Literally fire sold everything. Sold for, the, for people that think you can, like you did this at 40, like some people feel like they're 30 or they're 25 or they're 28 is too late or whatever. But you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong. I wish I would have done some of the things much earlier, but that yeah. whole government career and all the things I went through made yeah. me who I am. So yeah. I can't look at the hardships and the, the say not so pleasant parts of my life and career. I can't look at those negatively. I got to look at them as lessons. They brought me to this point and without them, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be the person I am. So that's kind of how I look at it. Um, and I just sold everything literally within 48 hours. I put everything on Craigslist, made about ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 off all my, I sold the blinds. I mean, I sold everything, ceiling fans. <laughs> yeah. I, people came over, two people bought the bulk of it. They came over with trailers, little utility trailers. They go, what do you got left? I go, whatever you see around besides the dogs, take it. You, whatever's around, I don't care. And the last piece was the dining room table was the last thing I sold. And it was massive, this huge table I just spent months and months searching for. And it had to be a certain color. It had to be a certain size. It cost a ton of money. I ate at that thing maybe five times. <laughs> and seeing that thing go down the road on the top of a uh, Ford Explorer, the guy who bought it, he was uh, an officer in the military. And we strapped that thing with every piece of bungee cord and rope we could find. And I remember it driving away and I was a little depressed at first. I went, I have failed. I literally felt like a failure because that was the last big item. And then I, I would say about 30 minutes later, it kind of dawned on me. I went, I'm free. I'm totally free. There's nothing holding me back anymore. I don't have all these possessions, all this garbage that I didn't use. And I, got, I ended up uh, renting a small little cottage in, in San Diego in the a more rural area that ended up, I, I ended up staying there over four years. And it was about 475 square feet. So I sold everything, made a transition, bought an RV later on. And then after four years, I moved into my RV because I had bought 20 acres in Northeast Washington. This is my off-grid house here. And I'm on Wi-Fi, people. It's off-grid. Some yeah. people get confused. All, He's on the internet. He's not off-grid. I'm not tied to public utilities. That's the definition of off-grid. So do you have a hotspot, mobile hotspot, or how yeah. do you get on the internet? 
I've been using a Verizon uh, Jetpack for seven, eight years. I bought the very first one. Yeah. I was when I went in the store, I was the first customer to ever <laughs> activate one. <laughs> so yeah. I've had this thing forever. And that's how I've run my business. So I decided to run my business remotely and I because I went total freedom, right? I went, I'm going all in. Yeah. So all I made in. sure yeah. yeah, the business was designed to run remotely. And I said I can run it anywhere. So I started giving up clients and was working more consulting, uh, became a college professor did that remotely. I did in-campus, on-campus stuff too, but I, at the end, I journeyed out into online courses teaching, which I wasn't a big fan of. Um, just real impersonal. I, I much rather, I enjoyed the in-class stuff much better. So yeah, I just transitioned that, started building the house off the grid, had become debt-free, uh, had my health in order, had gotten my surgeries, had redeveloped my health through ancestral health means and live in a primal lifestyle because I thought I was doing everything right, but I was doing everything completely wrong health-wise. Just well, like is, most. This, this is where I want to kind of dig into your sure. different niches. Um, so you've got like the off-grid living, you've got the minimalism, like getting rid of the stuff. And I think the dining room yep. table is a perfect metaphor for that. Then you have the RV living, which, you know, is kind of like location freedom. And then you have optimal health. Now there's lots of people that um, specialize in just one of those things, but yeah. you're integrating these things together. And for you, it helped you reboot your lifestyle. And that's what you help other people do. Well, and this all came about organically. The business model was never designed for this. And actually I've been running my own business for 20 years. I started my side business was real estate in the government. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't like I transitioned and started a business out, out of nowhere with no knowledge, no experience. I kind of think for me, I knew in the back of my mind that eventually there was going to be a transition in my life and I was preparing. I always tell people, I always have a backup plan. My yeah. whole life has been based upon backup plans. And the reason why is my family doesn't have any money. No one's going to babysit me and hold my hand to do anything. So I wasn't, I had no fallback. It was right. on me. So I always had these redundancies in life, I noticed. And like I said, I don't know where they came from, but that's where a lot of this came from as well, is doing different things. But I wasn't following a guide. I was doing them on my own. I was just, build the house off the grid. Sure, there was a couple books, but you know, everyone who lives off grid does it totally differently. See, that's a, this is one area where I really connect with you. There was a while before I was in technology where I was living in Alaska. I bought 20 acres outside of Willow, Alaska. Uh, it was off the grid. I had a hand pump well. I had a wall tent and I lived in there with a wood stove. And I lived in there with my girlfriend at the time. She's now my wife through the winter. So it's getting down to like 30 below and stuff. And I was helping train sled dogs for um, so the person that I worked with. But my my mindset going into that is like, one, I knew I could do it. Two, like, if I could do that, I can do anything. Like, yep. there, there's always, like, I'll be fine. And that's always been my superpower is even in the early days of business when things are cash flow is super low or got to make an investment in another person or whatever. I'm not scared because I can always, like, do, do a lot with little. <laughs> so, I'm the same way. And, yeah. and, and that's with everything that came from, I was still teaching health, nutrition, working with clients and stuff. I ran a health food company for a while and I was just doing whatever it took to get by, right? 
and not whatever. It all had to fit within my moral. And that was one thing I had drawn, drawn my line in the sand too, is no matter what I do, it's the right thing. It's the betterment of people. You know, it's to teach, it's to help. Of course, I get something from it, but the main goal of everything I did was to help others, right? I've mm-hmm. been a teacher. I think that came from the government and military and it just, it was my life purpose. We'll talk a little bit about that. And so I did an interview and I was talking to the host about, you know, I just bought 20 acres. I'm living up, going to build a house off the grid at the very end of the interview. And he goes, are you up to anything new? And I go, yeah, I'm doing this. He's all, whoa, whoa, time out. Hold on. You've never mentioned this. I went, yeah, because it's a, it's a life journey. I, it has nothing to do with anything. This is my personal journey. So I really haven't told a ton of people what I'm doing. And I've had it in the back of my mind for over a decade. This thing's been in the plans for a long time to get back to nature, to go back to simple living, though kind of similar to the way I grew up. And uh, I got tons of emails, tons. I have a, I have a question about this because sometimes yeah. there's some people have a problem or just a, they don't get it. Like you, there's like this off grid, remote, back to the land, you know, nature connection lifestyle. And then there's, you also have like a online business that's not mm-hmm. limited. Like people can buy from all over the world. You can sell to people all over the world. You're not limited by geography. And sometimes people don't realize you can have both. Like yes. how, did, how, did, how did you integrate those? And, or, and why do you think some people think that's a mutually exclusive decision where I have to pick one or the other? Well, I think it's because the, the world market is fairly new. Yeah. And also the internet, even though it's been around, what, 20 plus years now? Yeah, roughly, um, is new. It's still kind of new. And people are discovering. And for people who want to live remotely, the options are far more advanced than they were before because like my solar technology, over the last 10 years, it's drastically changed. I mean, it's so easy to hook up. It's so easy to use um, that it's a tough one because you can sell information, right? Yeah. Information courses, online courses, what you do and what I'm transitioning. That's how we met too, is I'm getting ready to start all these online courses, teaching what I do outside of the books, outside of the speaking engagements. I'm trying to get the message out as broad as I can through what technology is available to me. So today you can, you can even telecommute. I know people who live off grid who telecommute to their, their nine to five job. Yeah. They go in the office every couple of weeks or they travel, you know, for their job and they still live off grid. So there's so much going on technology wise. It's a double edged sword though, right? You use it as a tool. You don't let it slice you. That's what I tell people. Don't let it cut deep and get inside you and start running your life. Yeah. You use it to make your life better. And I think that's the premise of everything I teach is look at the world we're in and use things as tools. And I don't mean, mean per, interpersonal relationships. People tend to confuse that one. Yeah. And I'm a little bit different. I actually, all the people I work with are friends of mine. And I refuse to work with anyone who is not a friend or does not become a friend. And people go, that's a weird model. I go, well, it's not just about selling widgets. Right. This is about relationships. You know, what I teach is, you know, being a better person, being a better steward of the earth, helping other people. I mean, that's truly what I teach. So why would I have all these cold, hard business relationships where, you know, hey, Dave, can I get such and such? Sure, I'll send it. That's it. 
You know, yeah. all this, we BS half the time before we ever get to business. You know, we're talking about our lives, what we're doing, our families, you know, our goals. That's important to me. Yeah. You know, I don't want to do business the other way. It's just, it's too cold and calculated. So, and I'll talk about the three, I want to talk about this so people understand what I'm, because um, it can be, like I said, a little obtuse, a little, little out there for people. Yeah. It's a three-legged stool of what I teach. It's life purpose, financial well-being, and optimal health. And people go, I tell, those are your main focuses. That's what I teach the bulk of. And they go, well, pff, Captain Obvious. I go, well, if it's so obvious, why do most Americans not even have one? Right. Wired? They don't even have one that they've perfected, let alone three. And the reason I teach it this way, my philosophy's a kind of a, a mix of, oh, objectivism, uh, libertarianism, and realism, it's, I got a little twist on my philosophies of how they work. And it's because if you do these three things and you do them well, health is the elephant in the room. I mean, yeah. we are absolutely in such horrible health in this country. And the problem is we are so unhealthy, people don't even realize it because everyone around them is unhealthy. Yeah. We are losing the health battle in this country and it's bankrupting not only the system, but it's bankrupting us emotionally, personally, and financially. So that's why I teach health so much. I go, if you get your health in order, everything else will start to fall in place. And financial freedom, being debt-free, then finding your life purpose. What would you do if you didn't have to make money in order to do it? Uh, and people confuse that with, oh, woo-woo, you know, chase, chase my passion. I can't eat passion. Right. I go, well, look at what I did. If you would have told me 10 years ago this was my business, I would have told you you're absolutely out of your mind. I let it find me. Everything found me. My purpose found me. Even though it was a, my life purpose was something similar, it's now a little different. And with those, by doing all three of those and mastering them, you remove the power away from the system that you're complaining about all the time. What is your, what's your purpose? My purpose is to teach the simple life and have people get back to their roots, be compassionate, treat each other better. And again, that sounds woo-woo, but we have a huge problem in the way we treat each other today. And I'm a firm believer, no one should be hungry. No one should not be able to get health care. No one should have to, you know, live a life of misery that they do not choose. And people kind of confuse this with, oh, he's a socialist now. He's an anarchist. No, 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 no. A hand, a hand up, not a hand out. I firmly believe if you put in the effort, you're doing the right thing. You should have access to all of those. Those should be within your grasp and you should be able to possess those, right? Yeah. Now, if you're going to sit on the couch and eat Twinkies and vape all day and dye your hair pink, sorry, you're going to have to live with the consequences. You know, that's my, and that's a little tough love, but people are a little shocked at that different kind of uh, disparity between the two, I go, no, we, we as humans are meant to be free. You know, we live in this capitalistic society. We're so lucky. I've traveled all over and I'm sure you have too, but from what we've talked, you go, I've been to some hell holes. I'll tell you where, where you do not want to live and the life you do not want to have. But I've also been to very, you know, rural areas of the, of the world where the people are super happy and they have almost nothing. You know, well, on that, on that note, 
if you go to the financial leg of the stool, what are some counterintuitive insights you have around financial freedom or, or becoming having a healthier relationship with money? And one specific question I have for you around that is, what do you think is like the number if you can get to in the US dollars in a year that really, you know, that or what circumstances can, are you re- actually free? Because a lot of people end up on this hamster wheel that never stops. But well, you're totally right. And I teach people today that we don't have an earning problem in this country. We have a spending problem. It's within our government and we do it personally. I've done it. And I always use this example and I use it in my books that minimum wage, everyone's fighting for the $15 minimum wage, which is happening. I'm in Washington. It's happened here. Here's the problem with it. $15 an hour. If you work just 40 hours a week, uh, you know, all year long, that is $31,200 a year. So if you're a couple, you're going to make over $60,000 a year, you know, cooking fries, sweeping the floor. That's not going to work. That's unsustainable. And you're feeding into the big companies that are saying, yeah, I'll pay you $15 an hour. We'll look like the good guy. We're going to cut your hours and we're going to automate you in about a year. So you're slitting your own throat going that way. And not only that, but earning $15 an hour, just working four hours a week, which for salary employees, that 40-hour work week's gone. No one on salary gets to work just 40 hours a week anymore. So you're basically getting the best of the financial world without putting anything really into it. I don't mean, I want to get into a living wage, but that minimum wage puts a, puts you into the richest 1% in the world. So you making minimum wage, you are considered one of the richest people in the world. Again, not an earning problem, a spending problem. So what I teach and what I talk about is looking at the instruments that we're taught to use from the word go. As kids, we're no longer taught to save. So kids go into high school, go into college. Most of them don't have jobs. And if they do, they expect $15 an hour as a 16-year-old, which is ridiculous. Um, I made three thirty-five an hour, you know, mopping floors and washing dishes and bussing tables. Um, that you take that and then you go you turn it to teenager, you're automatically told you need a credit card. No. So we're, we're introducing you to poor savings and debt right out of the gate. So now you've got credit cards. Now you go to college, you crank up your college debt. You go finance a car that you can't afford, that you should have probably bought something cheaper. My first brand new car cost $6,800. Had no air conditioning, had no bumpers, no radio and vinyl seat, little Toyota pickup. You know, I, I bought what I could afford and I bought it because I needed reliable transportation to get to work, to get to school and haul my crap around if I moved. It all had to fit in the back of my truck. That was the rule. And so you go from that and then you get out of college and I've did the math, the new financial freedom book. I break all this out by basic math. Most college students are in so much debt by the time they get out of college. The average college graduate makes about $54,000 a year. They're already upside down. And they don't even know it because most kids go 54 grand a year. Holy, I'm rich. No, you're not. You're upside down. And what they do is then they finance their lifestyle further on credit cards. It's been proven. That's what the young people are doing today. They're just raking raking up more more debt. So I tell people, you need to step outside of that. You need to become debt free. You need to start paying these things off. Uh, The average American home is a loser. 
and I do this in math, I've been in real estate, I've cranked the numbers, I've done it many times, I've been bitten by it. The average American home over the lifetime, because most people live in their house six, seven years before they upgrade or sell, even if you go 30 years, the odds of you breaking even on that house, because no one, you're, you, you know closing statements, right? When you look yeah. at your, yeah. look at that, that only gives you the difference between principal and profit. It doesn't tell you HOAs, Melarus, you know, property taxes, upgrades, you know, utilities, insurance. It doesn't factor in any of that. You factor in all the pieces of a house. The average American house is a loser. It is a financial loser. And we also are taught to finance, finance it incorrectly with a 30-year loan, lowest, lowest down payment we can do. I say the lowest is 15 years, 20% down. If you can't do that, you do not, you should not buy the house. And so teaching those things and understanding that, yeah, we're in this great system, but the system is built to perpetual, kind of perpetuate the rich getting richer. I, I hate to be this way, but I'm a very analytical guy yeah. and I've looked at it. Big companies, big government are ruining our lives today. I should know. I was there. I was on the inside. And well, what's Let's yeah. switch gears to the health because that's awesome. And I want to encourage people to check out the simplelifenow.com. Yeah, I, know I, get, I get passionate about that one because <laughs> yeah. that's the one that with health and finances, people think that they're in a pit they can't dig themselves out of, right? It's because they have the wrong information. Well, let's, let's look at health. Um, yeah. Is it, I mean, there's like diet, there's movement, there's like a to- toxicity has never been more. There's all the technology and screen time and and all that going on well like what what's your approach to optimizing health and what are some low-hanging fruits that if people were to think differently or change some habits or whatever can have really big consequences in a good way yeah and health we've overcomplicated it and that's why i write a book on each of these subjects but they're short the health book's a little longer but it's an all-encompassing book it has recipes, it has a basic uh, exercise program, and then it gets in, I, I talk about a lot of the whys. If you don't know the why, and that's, I have five principles of the simple life, the first one's knowledge is power. If you don't understand why you need to be healthy and how the body works, we're wasting our time. You have to be, humans are meant to learn. We're very curious animals. We've kind of cut that out. Now we're kind of just follow the path, don't ask questions. You need to be asking questions and you need to be figuring out the why. That's what I teach in health. And the, the, the thing we have to realize is the average woman today is 5'4", 171 or 174 pounds. The average male is 5'10", 198 pounds. Both of men and women in this country are a couple pounds, two to three pounds away from averaging obesity in this country. Averaging. We will hit that the next 12 months. That is absolutely ludicrous that we're at this stage. Health is not that hard. But I have a simple saying, there's no money in healthy people. Right. Got to keep you on the treadmill. Got to keep you sick. Chasing that, you know, just if I take this prescription, I'm going to feel better. Oh, the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, they're, they're here to help me. No, they're not. I worked with them. They're greedy and absolutely your health is at the bottom of their list of priorities. They could care less about your health. Yep, again, a little tough love. I hate to be that way. But I'm also not saying that pharmaceutical drugs are unnecessary. 
absolutely they are necessary, but the majority of them are nothing but money makers that will not solve any of your health problems. If anything, they'll make them worse and create others. You need to take control of your health, you personally. The biggest one is sugar. Sugar is in everything. The average American consumes 33, 43 teaspoons of sugar a day. Wow. The body, to include your food, remember there's sugar in food, in natural food, there's eight teaspoons or less is, is the maximum basically that we can handle without starting to have health problems. So, you know, do the math. Five to six times the amount that is considered healthy, maximum. You look at sugar. Start eating food. People are all, well, if I can't have bread, scones, my thousand calorie latte three times a day, my Red Bull, what am I going to have? Food. <laughs> Eat food. Yeah. The biggest problem I had have with dealing with clients and over the years, cooking. We purchase more cookbooks in the entire history of humankind, and we cook the least amount of food in our history. Wow. Yeah. It is, I mean, it is amazing that people can't quite grasp the concept of this. Most people have all these cookbooks on their shelves that they never use. It's, you have to, if you want to be healthy, you have to cook your own food. It's cheaper, and I, this is the argument. I'm sure you've heard it too. It's too expensive to be healthy. I can't yeah. afford that food. Oh, yeah? It's cheaper to be healthy. That is the food industry putting a con on you. You go try and eat fast food today. It will easily cost you $10. You know what kind of meal, organic meal, healthy meal I can cook with $10? That's a, that's a grass-fed ribeye. That's a salad. And that's having a banana afterwards as my dessert easily, yeah. <laughs> you know, as opposed to your, uh, you know, Frankenstein burger or whatever you just consume that's going to kill you. And I'm not against fast food. I just tell people, use it as a treat. You eat it once, twice a month. You're okay. People today literally eat almost every meal out and they can't figure why they're broke. And this ties in. I actually have a whole chapter on the amount of money people spend on eating out. I've had clients that are spending over $30,000 a year eating out and they're not rich. They're middle-class Americans and they could not figure out why they were so unhealthy and broke. And I had to break the math out to them. I go, you, you have a bottle of ketchup in your refrigerator. That's all you've got. <laughs> you know, and they got a family of four. They're eating every single meal out. And for that, if you just tackle sugar, cut out the fast food and eating out. Those are two big ones, but understand what food is meat. So meat, poultry, nuts, seeds, vegetables, fruits. Those are your big ones. I'm a paleo guy because paleo people confuse with kind of a fad diet because it's been uh, basically <laughs> screwed up by a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing. Paleo is an elimination diet. That's what it's for. It eliminates the, the three main foods that we have issues with. Uh, highly processed dairy, beans, grains. And again, I always get the, well, what am I going to eat? Food. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying that you have to eliminate all these, these foods, but I'm going to tell you from a vast amount of experience and working with thousands of peoples at this point in my career, you eliminate those three, I've seen people's health turn around within 30 days. 
Yeah, it's amazing what can happen. I've just seen it when I've tried different dietary changes, just even in like three days, 72 hours yeah. of like, let's say eliminating dairy or eliminating processed foods or not doing sugar or taking a break from coffee if you're having adrenal issues or whatever. There's yeah. all kinds of things that can turn around really quickly. What's wrong with coffee, Chris? I don't know. I don't have a problem. I don't have a big problem with coffee. It's just that for me, I'm joking. I'm joking. I, was, <laughs> I was using it to uh, just, it was creating way too much stress in my life. Uh, too much like over consuming coffee. Well, I, still, I still have coffee on occasion, but I don't have it daily. I used to have like, you know, a giant press pot twice a day, you know, drinking coffee in the afternoon, messing up my sleep. I think the, the effect of coffee on sleep is the problem. If you can't have a healthy yes. relationship between coffee and sleep, you shouldn't have it. <laughs> well, well, caffeine's addictive. And yeah. don't get me wrong. I drink coffee. I drink 100% organic coffee that I freshly grind in the morning and I use an old school espresso maker, Italian espresso maker stovetop. That's what I do. Yeah. I'm very selective. And I tell people too that caffeine, no caffeine after one in the afternoon. None. You got to stop. It will screw your sleep up unbelievably. And not only that, but a lot of the energy drinks, you know, they're putting a ton of taurine in there and the caffeine isn't necessarily natural. It's synthetically derived and it has a weird tinge to it. Um, anytime, like if I stupidly go and get a Red Bull or something, cause I'm on the road and I'm, I just need something to keep me awake. I start to see stars after I drink it. Yeah. I get, my vision gets hazy and I'm all, what is going on here? And it's the chemicals actually crossing my blood brain barrier and it's causing some weird psychological, I, mean, I shouldn't even say some neuro weird response that is unhealthy. My brain is going, what did you just do? And getting away from those things and living life, right? Get outdoors. I wow. had a similar experience. I was on a plane recently and I, um, I just, I had like a juice, uh, like a mass produced juice in the can and then they gave out a cookie and I felt like crap. I, I, I like you pretty clean, natural, organic whole foods. And I just had it and I was like, and I felt terrible for like three hours. I'm like, man. And I, that's just like, some yep. people have like six cans of soda a day and you know, all the junk food and stuff. I just couldn't. Doritos, you know, bags of Doritos <laughs> or the, my yeah. favorite is, you know, people who have their, uh, you know, they're the Red Bull and they've pounded uh, three cliff bars, you know, thinking they're going to be healthy. And I just laugh. I go, did you look what's in that cliff bar? I used to love cliff bars back in the day. I don't anymore. They're, they're yeah. just sugar carb bombs and they're geared and cliff bars are geared for outdoor activities where you need to pack something and you're out for, you know, a full day. That's why they're designed the way, well, kind of, they've gone off the rails a little bit, but that's what they were designed for. We're dense carb sources. That's what they were for. They had fat. You got to be carbs. burning that. You got to be You're burning. burning. And that's what yeah. they're meant for. Yeah. Not meant to sit on, you know, on the, you know, in between, you know, your cubicle and having your snack of 50 grams, 60 grams of carb. No, they're not even that. They're like a hundred grams of carbohydrates. Some of them. And yeah, just using your head. And that's the problem is we we're completely disconnected from health and the planet. We are, we have a symbiotic relationship of humans to the earth. I have a saying too, you came from the dirt, you'll return to the dirt. That is the cycle of life of human beings and all animals on this planet. And again, people think I'm sitting in the forest with my legs crossed, you know, humming. Yeah, sometimes, but 
that's not what it's about. It's about understanding <laughs> yeah. that you have a relationship with the earth and what you put into your body has dire consequences. Nature is close as close to perfection as we're ever going to find. Well, it's was, not perfect, but it is designed for us to consume, <laughs> you know, for the people out there listening, as we close out, you know, you've got these overlapping areas of purpose, financial health and human health and connection. Um, and you've like really stepped in, you've made that transition into your, this is where I'm going to plant my flag with my expertise. This is where I'm going to keep sharpening the saw and challenging assumptions, helping people. Uh, you've got, you do speaking, you've got books, you're starting to get into courses. What, what advice do you have that for people that are, you know, let's say an earlier version of you who are stepping outside, they're making a change and they're like, they want to do their own thing and build this kind of business and lifestyle. Uh, whatever the three circles are in the Venn diagram for them, what advice do you have for them to, you know, be successful and make progress and make the transition successfully? Start working on that three-legged stool immediately. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, like I said, the finances and the health and life purpose, the great thing about it, they don't cost any money. Yeah. Really. You, you can start, and you can start them today. Do they cost money in the beginning? Of course, you're going to have to go buy healthy, go get healthy food. You have to change some things and, and start with a plan. I tell everyone with the, the life that I designed for me, I had to have a plan and I had to have money. If you don't have either one of those, it's probably not going to work. And the money part, we, we, I, sorry, I glossed over that, but I, I look at money as freedom. The more money you have, the more potential for freedom you can, can acquire. The more freedom you have, the less money it takes to maintain that freedom. I know it's rhetorical in a way, but it totally makes sense. So I am completely debt free. I own my house. I own my RV. I own my truck. I can live off far less money than I had to 10 years ago. So $15 minimum wage to me is a living wage because I can live off it no problem owning all these things because I'm debt free. I don't have the financial burdens that everyone else has. So take it step by step. Go slow. That is my, my best advice. We like to go zero to 60 and jump in and not do research and not plan. Take it, you know, day by day. If you can improve upon one thing, one little thing every single day, after a year, you'll be shocked at your progress. But people who go, I'm going to do all this tomorrow, <laughs> they're the ones that get overwhelmed. They skip a bunch of steps and they give up. Just keep at it. You're going to fail. Fail, I, you know, I love that saying, uh, failure is not an option. I've added to it. I go, failure is not an option, but it's imminent. <laughs> how you, it's how you react to that failure and how you adapt and overcome is what's going to define you as a person and where you go in life. That's what does it today. We give up. We get a little, you know, little pain, little failure, and we throw our hands up and we go, I'm out. I'm done. Forget it. This is just too hard. I'm going to tell you what I've done in this lifestyle is the hardest thing I've ever done by far. And it has been the most rewarding thing I have ever accomplished in my life. That is awesome. Gary Collins, he's at the simplelifenow.com forward slash freedom. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story and your methodology and giving us advice on our course creator journey. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me on, Chris. I really appreciate it.
And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I hope you enjoyed the show. This show was brought to you by Lifter LMS, the number one tool for creating, selling, and protecting engaging online courses to help you get more revenue, freedom, and impact in your life. Head on over to lifterlms.com and get the best gear for your course creator journey. Let's build the most engaging results getting courses on the internet.